Let's pray. Our Lord, it's, it's good to come to worship you each and every Lord's Day. Uh, but Father, it is especially good this morning to come and uh, to reflect upon the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray that your spirit would be present with us today and to, to open our ears to hear the message of your word. Uh, Lord, may we draw comfort and, and hope from the things that we hear this day. And Lord, truly may it stir our hearts to, to continue to worship and to praise you all this week. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. As I said, you may want to have your Bibles open to Romans, actually open to Romans 8, if you would. Throughout history, there have always been pivotal events that have affected the world rather dramatically. I mean, I'm talking about so dramatically that it's hard to really understand what life was like uh, before beforehand. And if we stop and we think about the kind of Things that might fall into that category, we may come up with a rather lengthy list, but just a couple of things that, that I thought about this week was the creation of the automobile, or even flight for that matter. I mean, you think about how radically that has changed travel. I mean, people used to would go to the office and go downtown to go to work, and now sometimes they get on an airplane and they travel halfway around the world to go work with co-workers from, from other countries. I mean, it's just very different than, than it was many years ago. Or think about the creation of the personal computer and the Internet and how that has radically changed communication and the information uh, that we hear. I mean, how many of you this week watched the Cathedral of Notre Dame burn this week, maybe even live on the Internet or even this morning for us before we gather to worship to hear of brothers and sisters in Christ who have been ushered into the presence of God this morning as bombs went off in their church. Uh, that is radically changed communication. And even the events of 9-11, uh, at least uh, for our country, and even the whole idea of terrorism has radically changed the world in which we live. And like I said, you could, we could add to that list many other things. But I might suggest another event, maybe one that we don't typically think of as life-altering necessarily. Uh, but that which we are gathered here this morning to celebrate. And that is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. After Christ was killed and he came back to life, many things changed. One of which was it led to the shift in the day of worship for God's people. It moved from the, the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week, showing us that each Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection of Christ. And, and even in our Western culture, there are millions of people who gather to worship God uh, for his work of salvation, for those who trust in him. But unfortunately, I think the church doesn't appear to place as much emphasis on the resurrection of Christ as it does upon the cross. Now, I recognize that, that many churches do have a, like a cross posted somewhere in their sanctuary or other places, and that cross is usually empty to show that Christ is no longer upon the cross, but that he is risen. So there is a, that sense in which they do talk about it. But having said that, I would suggest that when it comes to the gospel, we tend to emphasize the cross more than the resurrection of Christ, which can leave us with an incomplete view 
of what Christ has done for our salvation. And, and this morning, as we begin to look at God's word, I want you to look at Romans chapter 8, verse 34. We see that the Apostle Paul views the importance of the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ. He said, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So you see that. It is Jesus Christ who died. And he says, even more than that, who was raised. And so we see that these two ideas of Christ's death and his resurrection go together, and they are inseparable. But without the resurrection, the cross is meaningless. It really has no meaning. And so I want us this morning to look at the resurrection and the importance of Christ coming back to life. It's not just a, a cool fact that's happened, but there are certain benefits that Christians possess because Christ rose from the dead. And, and we actually have already read a great statement, uh, a summary statement of what the Bible teaches of the benefits of, of the resurrection. And we did that in the Heidelberg Catechism. So if you want, you're welcome. I mean, have your Bibles open. But you're also welcome to grab your songbooks if you want and turn to page 879. And we're going to be using this Heidelberg Catechism as sort of the outline that we go through to talk about what Christ's resurrection has done for, for his church. And, and we see really three things in this. First of all, we see that it affects our justification, how we became Christians. Uh, second of all, though, it affects our sanctification, how we live as Christians. And, and third and finally, it affects our glorification or the hope that we have as Christians. And so I want us to just sort of break each one of these down and look at them. First of all, how we became Christians, our justification. The, the catechism says, first, by his resurrection, by Christ's resurrection, he has overcome death so that he could make us share in the righteousness which we have obtained, which he has obtained for us in his death. Now, we have spent the last several weeks looking at Christ's penal substitution, okay, which is simply a way of saying that, that all of humanity by nature is guilty before God for our sin against the Lord. Now, we may not feel like we are living in sin. We may actually feel like we're a pretty good person. You know, we're kind to other people. We try to be civil. We try to treat others the way they treat us. And, and that we look at our lives and we think, well, I'm not really a sinner. I'm not, I'm not done anything really bad. But the reality is, is that all of us, all of us live our lives really in a way that would please ourselves, that would benefit ourselves rather than living in such a way as to please God. God created us. He made us. He placed us in this world in which we live and he's given us everything that he's given us so that we might enjoy fellowship with him. We might delight in him. We might live for his glory and for people to know who he is. But so often we've not lived that way. Instead, we've actually lived for our own benefit. And so as a result of that, we have sinned against God. We have lived in a way that is, is where we have wronged God. And therefore, he has rightly judged us. And uh, we are to pay the price for that, that sin that we have committed but also the Bible tells us that even though all of humanity has sinned against God in this way, God in his love has chose to deal with the sin. 
to deal with our sin. And he did so by sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ willingly came to, to become the substitute for us. To die upon the cross and to say, I will die for those who will have faith in me. And he has paid the penalty for their sin. So you see, penal substitution. Christ is the substitute who has paid the penalty for our sins. Now listen to the way that Paul describes it in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. He says, for while we were still weak, that is, while we were still in our sin, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still living in rebellion against God, we weren't seeking God or God wasn't the focus of our life. But even while that was the case, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. Now what he means by being justified here is that we have been legally declared as innocent of, of any sin against God. Because what God has done is he has pardoned our sins. Now that doesn't mean he just forgot about our sins. What that means is, is that he has taken the sins of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and he has put those sins upon Christ. So even though Christ lived a perfect life, he did not do anything. He did not sin against God in any way. He became sin for us. And so God's wrath was poured out upon Jesus Christ on our behalf. And, and not only did that happen, but you know Christ's perfect life that he lived was then credited to the account of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. So when God looks at those who have faith in Christ, even though they still sin, God does not see their sin. He looks at them and he sees Christ's perfection. He sees Christ's perfect life and he accepts them as perfect even though they sin. Because see, those sins even that, that we commit has been paid for by Christ's blood. And so he says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And that's what Jesus did by dying upon the cross for those who have faith in him. But Jesus did more than that. Jesus was buried after he, he died. I mean, so, and he was buried for like three days. So he was dead, dead, not just sort of dead. He was dead. But then he rose again from the dead to show that death can no longer hold him as he has overcome death. See, you have to understand that there is a connection between sin and death. Okay, even back uh, at the beginning of creation, before sin entered the scene, God had created Adam, and God came to Adam and he said this. He said, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. He's in the Garden of Eden. He said, you can eat of every tree, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. You see, he says that when, when you sin, sin and death go together. And so when you sin, there will be death. Well, we read in Genesis 3 that that's what Adam and Eve did. They actually rebelled against God. They sinned. They ate the fruit of the tree that God told them not to. 
And as a result, all of humanity fell into sin and therefore all of us, we die. And Paul, um, speaking of this in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that is through Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. So death is a result of sin. So now what does Jesus' resurrection have to do with this? Well, Jesus' resurrection and his triumphal appearance of being alive is evidence that sin has been fully atoned for, that the ransom or the payment has been paid and God's justice has been satisfied for our sin because sin no longer has power. Christ was able to be raised from the dead because sin had been paid for. And that's why Paul says in Romans 4.25 that Jesus was also raised for our justification. You know, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then we would not be justified before God. We would still be dead in our sins. If Jesus was in a grave, what that would show is, guess what? It didn't work. He died for our sins, but he didn't actually accomplish that. You know, and that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So Paul, he wants to make it very clear, Christ has been raised from the dead. And so he presents his readers with a list of more than 500 people who were eyewitnesses to Christ Jesus' resurrection. And he even says in 1 Corinthians 15, 5, that you can go interview these men if you want. Let me give you the names of some of these men. So you can go and you can test to the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. Because if Jesus Christ is alive, then our sins have been paid for. So now what does that mean for us? Well, all God's children have then been reconciled to him because of the resurrection there is not one sin, not even the least part, for which satisfaction has not been made. Which means that if we place our trust in Jesus, then we are free from all the guilt and the punishment for our sin. Because Jesus Christ has paid for that. But you may be here today, and you may feel the guilt of your sin. And, and even sense that you deserve punishment for, for what you have done. You, you may be someone where there is no peace in your heart and your conscience bothers you. And maybe there's nothing but even terror as you think about the things that you have done. And so there's no rest for you. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ paid the price for all your sin if you will just believe in him. Receive him by faith who calls you and offers his fullness Without a price for us. Jesus has paid it all. Go to God and ask the Lord. While pleading upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Jesus has risen from the dead. There is forgiveness of sins. And peace with God. So if you are here today and you don't know him. I would encourage you to wrestle. To apply all this to yourself. On the basis of the promise made to all who receive Jesus Christ by faith. Until you experience the power of Christ's resurrection that justifies you before God and gives you peace with him. And so first of all, we see that, that Christ's resurrection justifies us, but it also sanctifies us. It also uh, determines how we live as Christians. Look at the catechism again. It says, secondly, we are also by his power raised up to a new life. Now, 
Now notice, not to be super technical here, but the, the, notice the present tense of the verb. We are raised. Not we will be raised. That's my next point. But we are raised. It is through the resurrection of Christ that we now have a totally different life. Uh, Paul demonstrates this in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. He says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death that is like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And then in Colossians uh, 2, verse 3, we read, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So we see that newness of life that Christ has made us new creatures. And so, therefore, he says in Colossians 3, verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, seated, seated at the right hand of God. In other words, our focus is not about the things of this world. The standards and the, the, the things that we live by are eternal things. They're things of, of another world. So even if believers may know themselves to be justified, they can't be satisfied with that. That's not who they are. Their whole desire and their life is to be united to Him and to live with Christ. They can't help but find delight in knowing God, in, in, in loving Him and in fearing Him and in being subjected to Him. For the believer, there is a sense of incompleteness uh, until the entirety of their, of their being, of their thoughts and of their words and of their actions are in full agreement with God's will. Now that will never happen while we're here on this earth. We will never be made perfect, but we desire that. We desire to obey Christ and to walk with Him. And so therefore, for a Christian, sin is despicable. Christians hate themselves when they give in to sin. They are ashamed before God and inwardly have sorrow over their, their sinful actions or th their thoughts or, or their words. And oh, how they desire to be delivered from that sin. I mean, that's what Paul said, did he not? In Romans 6, oh God, that you would deliver me from this body of death. Which then causes us as believers to long for heaven, knowing that when we get there, that we will see God face to face, right? And that there will be no more sin. That the presence of sin will be gone. And we will not struggle with sin anymore. So brothers and sisters, give in to that heartfelt desire. And let that motivate you to be engaged in a life of, of holiness. Let Christ's resurrection motivate you to a, a life, a holy life. Here again, Paul says in Romans 6, So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. It takes a lot of, of power, friends, to subdue a heart that's prone to sin. But the beauty of the resurrection of Jesus is, is that not only does he give the authority to receive this new life, and not only does he give us a new life, but he also maintains and he preserves that new life. Do you believe that Jesus is powerful enough to keep you? Do you? 
Do you believe that for the years that you have on this earth that, that Christ will keep you safe? Matthew tells us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of God. And the reason why he can say that is because the Lord is risen indeed. And his resurrection, in that he preserves them and he raises believers to new power in life. And that's why Daniel could stay in Babylon for 73 years and continue by the grace of God to witness for God in the midst of one of the most godless and pagan uh, nations of that time. And it wasn't because of Daniel's power. It wasn't because of his character. It wasn't because of his personality. It was because of the power of Christ in him. Daniel, was he not a man of prayer? Did he not go to the Lord looking to him for strength to follow him, to obey him? Was he not guided by his word? And he walked in that newness of life. He looked very odd in the Babylonian empire. And oftentimes there were many things in his life and the life of his friends that stood out that caught the attention even of the rulers of that country. But they did so because they trusted in, in God and the coming Messiah. And that's why God's people who are so often fear that they shall turn back to become like Lot's wife will never become Lot's wife because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, think again about the words that Paul said in Romans 8:34. He said, Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. So he died, he was raised to life, he now sits in a position of power and authority at the right hand of God the Father. And what does he do? Paul tells us that he indeed intercedes for us. Now the implications of that, brothers and sisters, are truly mind-boggling. When we think of it in terms of, of our Christian conduct, I think it's so easy to excuse so much of our sinful behavior because we appeal to our own weakness or we appeal to the fact that we live in a fallen world. And so we excuse that. And yet when we wallow in sinful habits with all sorts of excuses, what are we saying about the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? Have we not been raised with Christ for the purpose of doing good? Is, is our Lord not at work in us to will and to work for his good pleasure? What are we saying about our baptism into Christ? The resurrection of, of the Lord is not something we show by simply keeping the Sunday holy and living the, according to God's word for Christians. Christ's resurrection changes our conduct every day of the week. But these things can only happen by the power of of a resurrected Christ, as we look to Him and we trust in Him, as we walk with Him each and every day. You hear preachers talk about, well, read your Bible and pray and all that. And, and, and that's not just because those are good things to do. That is how we look to God. That is how we trust in Him. That is how we cry out to Him and say, Lord, help me this day to walk with You and to know You and to love You, to delight in You, to love others and abide in You. Because we cannot give these things to ourselves. And when we walk uh, in our own strength each and every day, we will surely fall. And I think that the, the church oftentimes today in America is weak because we are not looking to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. 
But third and finally, we see that it also gives us hope for the future and our glorification. It says, lastly, the resurrection of Christ is a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. When we speak of our glorification, we're, we're speaking of how life will be to come. In other words, what it's going to be like in glory or in heaven. But, but he says here that Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge. Now, when we see that word pledge, we might substitute the word promise, right? That uh, Christ is a sure promise of our blessed resurrection. But, but I want to suggest to you that, that that's not adequate. That actually falls short of what that word means. A pledge really is, is the beginning of the fulfillment of a promise. And if, if you want an illustration of this, if you've ever bought a house, uh, have, you, have you not had to put a down payment down on that house? And, and that down payment is the first payment. It's, it's a pledge that we're going to pay the whole amount of that house. And that's how the Lord's resurrection functions for us. When we hear Paul say to the Corinthians that the Lord is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, he is saying that Christ's resurrection is just the beginning of the harvest from the graves. That Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and because of that, we can expect that there's going to be more to come. That those who believe in him and those who trust in him are going to be raised from the dead as well. Paul says in Romans 8:11, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells within you. The resurrection is not some spiritual thing. He says that he will give life to your mortal bodies. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 3, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject to even to subject all things to himself. In other words, when Christ came back to life, it wasn't just that his he came back as he was before he died. Actually, we read that his body was different. It was a spiritual body. It was a body that was meant for another world. And so when Christ was raised from the dead, um, he obviously looked human, but he looked different. I mean, I don't know why that is, but many people didn't recognize Jesus for, for who he is. But he could walk through locked doors. He could just appear at places. And so his body was very different. And one day our bodies will be changed like that too and be a body that is prepared for glory. And so... You know, as we live in this world, we can do everything we can to extend life. You know, some people exercise, some people diet, all those things are good. We do all kinds of things. But the, the one thing that is certain, no matter what you do in this world, one day you will die. Every one of us will die. And, and as we do so, we need to know that if we are in Jesus Christ, that that's not the end of it. If we're not in Jesus Christ, that's not the end of it. There will be eternal damnation for rebelling against the Lord. But for those who believe in Jesus Christ, there will be the resurrection of our, our being, that we will be in the presence of God. And especially this morning, if you are here today and you are struggling with sickness, or, or maybe you, you're, you miss a loved one that you have lost and this world seems very painful. Maybe you're going through great trials and you think that this life is hard. Know that there is hope. That this isn't what our existence will be forever. 
that when we close our eyelids in death, that death is not something that holds us because Christ has broken the power of death. We close our eyes in death that we might open them in glory to worship and, and to praise and to be in the presence of our God. I mean, think about our Lord whose body was brutally beaten and crucified and yet that battered body was raised to newness of life. So even those that struggle with cancer, those that go through great disease and difficulty, there is a hope and a promise of a new body that doesn't have the weaknesses of our body. So what, what do I want you to, to remember as we, as we conclude this morning? Well, I, I want to share with you three points actually that Dr. Beakey, Joel Beakey gave uh, about Christ's resurrection that I think is really important for us to remember. And the first thing of all is that we ought to experience more faith in the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We should, we should meditate upon what the resurrection, Christ, it, what it does, and the benefits that we give, the advantages and the happiness. I don't know if you, you think about this or not, but we have great advantage over Satan, who is seeking to deceive us, who is seeking to, uh, to draw us away from God. You know, he might seem strong, but he is nothing compared to God. And we can go to the Lord and we can, we can trust him in the midst of that. But there's also a sense of happiness that we will abide with Christ forever. Not just here upon this earth, but even afterwards as well. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.3, he says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. Is that how you would describe your walk with the Lord? Is a living hope? Do you know what that means, my friend, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You know, so often God's people have such an elusive hope because they're not clinging to a living Lord, to a resurrected Savior. Now, why is it that they maybe are not clinging to a living Lord? Well, sometimes it's out of ignorance. But other times it's because they haven't learned to die to their own righteousness. They still think pretty highly of themselves. And they think that maybe they don't need Jesus. They just need a little bit of help. But others, they haven't yet needed an exalted Savior. And they haven't understood the true condition of their heart. And they think that they're still pretty good. But if you are here this morning and you are not a stranger to God's grace, if you are a child of God, then I would encourage you to ask God to lead you deeper, to, to lead you to be crucified in your own righteousness, uh, that he would lead you and to understand the need that you have of a living Lord and to cling to Jesus each and every day, to be conscious of your daily need of his daily power as the resurrected king of glory in your life. But secondly, uh, let the resurrection of the Lord Jesus be your grounds of boasting. You know, there's nothing that we can brag about in and of ourselves. We do like people to think pretty highly of ourselves. Are we not? Do you not find yourselves from time to time sort of promoting yourself? And you want people to see you in a good light. But the reality is there's really not anything that we truly can boast about if you truly see us in our own hearts for what we are. But in Christ, our boasting is in him. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.8, Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Christ is our reason for boasting. The believer must show himself alive through him who is alive on his behalf. 
Paul writes to the Corinthians that his love ought to constrain you to live no longer to yourself, but to him who died for you and it's rose from the dead. So there is a sense in which we should look at the resurrection more closely, that we should boast in Christ's resurrection, but also that we should find our continual consolation in, in, in his resurrection. You know, and we see this at the tomb, do we not? The disciples go, we read this morning how the disciples went to the tomb and the tomb was empty. And Mary went and she saw the empty tomb and they felt isolated from the Lord. They felt fear that, that Christ's body was not there and they were very troubled because of that. Um, and sometimes that can be uh, our experience with God, that we can fear, we can experience those things as well. But even in the passage, uh, like the words the angel said, they said, Do not fear, for you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is risen. And even Mary, as she grieved that, that Christ was gone, and she, she felt so isolated from him, all he said to her was Mary. And then he said, he explained that he was the Christ. And, and, uh, and her heart was comforted. And even the disciples who locked themselves in the inner room because they were fearful of what was going to happen as they had associated with Jesus and he was now dead. Jesus went through those locked doors. Well, likewise, if we we're here this morning and, and you were struggling, you don't have the peace of God. God can give you that peace. The words Jesus spoke to his disciples were, peace be unto you, my peace I give to you. And he will give you that peace this morning. So when we sort of take it all together, the resurrection of the Lord is, is truly a pivotal event. As risen Lord, he continues his work as, as our high priest. We may be assured of our justification as he intercedes for us on our behalf. At the same time, his power is at work in us, in our sanctification. And then finally, his resurrection is a pledge of our glorification. Truly, the day of Christ's resurrection was a day that changed the world and guaranteed a life in the world to come. Amen? And it's in Him we trust. Let's take just a moment and have just a time of silence as we sort of reflect about the things that were, were preached this morning. Please bow your heads with me. Our, our God, we come to you this morning and we, we praise you and we thank you so much as we think about the salvation that you have uh, given to us. Uh, Lord, we know that we do not deserve it uh, for you to give us a, a second chance. Lord, for you to provide a way yet for us to come to you, a way in which you paid all the price for. But God, we thank you that you have done this. And Lord, I pray that we would come to understand and to appreciate and, and to live according to the things that you have accomplished for us. We thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that you are alive even today. That while we cannot see you, we know that you sit at the right hand of the Father. And one day you're going to return again to bring your people to be with you. Uh, Lord, in the meantime, we know that there are those who come to you through death. And we thank you, God, for the hope that we have. But Lord, we pray that if there be anyone here today who does not know you, uh, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them. 
God, that your Holy Spirit would work in their hearts to show them uh, your wonderful grace. And, and may you pursue them, Lord, with all your being, that they might know the joy of what it means to walk with you. Uh, Lord, I pray for, for those that are believers in the Lord Jesus, followers of you. Lord, let us not walk in the weakness of our struggles. Or, Lord, use the excuses of the fallenness of this world. But I pray this week that we would think often and you would bring to mind often your resurrection power. And let us walk in that. God, let us come to you to pray to you for strength. To pray for you, Lord, to, to love others. Lord, to, to walk in this newness of life that you have given to us. And I pray, God, that like Daniel, that our lives would be different that those around us would, would see that and they would bear witness. And I just think about men like Nebuchadnezzar, great, mighty men who ruled uh, sovereignly over things, how, God, you humbled them uh, until they acknowledged that you were God. And we pray, Lord, that those around us, no matter what their position may be today, that they would come to see you and to know you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, and pray these things in your name and for your glory. Amen.